0: Welcome to the Peace Over Pieces podcast, hosted by Clara Baldwin. Peace Over Pieces is a non-profit domestic violence organization creating podcasts with victims while providing donations, hotline information, and resources. If you or anyone you know is in need of financial or emotional assistance related to domestic abuse, please visit our website for contact information. Now without further ado, please enjoy the next episode. Hello, my name is Lisa Precious, and I'm delighted to have been invited to the Peace Over Pieces podcast today to share my survival story. I am the creator and founder of smileyblue.org, and I hope you will visit our website www.smileyblue.org This is all about uplifting others, healing our traumas, and moving on to raise each other up consciously to create a more peaceful earth in the future. Today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my childhood growing up, how that led into psychological abuse and choosing bad relationships. And I'll tell you a little bit about my healing journey and where it has all led me today to a place of profound spirituality and healing. So my story isn't so much about domestic abuse, albeit I have been in abusive relationships. It's more about scapegoat abuse in a dysfunctional family and it's a form of abuse that actually doesn't get a great deal of recognition and is extremely difficult to define because in any family environment there's always good times to be had as well. It's not all bad. So as a little girl I always felt from as early as I can remember that I didn't really fit in. I remember going to play group and absolutely being distraught at being left there and just not wanting to be there. And then starting primary school and very much feeling like a fish out of water. And I really, really didn't align with the whole school system. It felt as though I was being crushed into a box where I didn't fit. And this leads quite well into the sort of dysfunction that came in the family. So as a small child, my needs were met in terms of being clothed and fed and living in a warm house. And in my early formative years, my mother and father were good providers and parents. And I had what I recall as being a very close relationship. And things started to change and go wrong when We moved from our first house into our next home, which was quite a step up. My father was doing very well in business. And my mother had a a late baby. So to give you a little bit of background, I'm one of four sisters. Originally, my father was married before my mother. So I have a half-sister, I have an elder sister who now lives in Australia. There's myself and then my younger sister, who's 11 years, my junior. I'm 52 now. So growing up, not really feeling like I fit in at school and having parents that sent me us to private school, which I know some people would feel extremely blessed to be given that opportunity. For me, the school I was sent to was extremely academic and basically churned out doctors and lawyers. And somehow, if you didn't fit into that box, then you were a bit of an outcast. They didn't really know what to do with you. And both my parents, with all the best will in the world, wanted the very best for their daughters. They wanted their daughters to be successful in what they viewed as successful. So you were allowed to be good and successful. You just weren't allowed to be yourself. And for me, I was always a creative type. I enjoyed creative writing, dance, baking, And those were the things that really nourished my soul. And I guess the abuse really started to ramp up at home when my mother had her third child, my younger sister. And I was thrilled that my mum was having another baby and nobody could have been more excited and happier than me. And when she was born, my younger sister, you know, I loved helping my mum and helping her with feeds and it was really quite a happy time. But what I noticed about my mum, she was 37 at the time, was that she was really looking exhausted and I'd never seen her look so tired And she started to have to go to bed and sleep most afternoons. She smoked and the smoking increased. And as my younger sister grew older, she was quite a demanding child. And she learned quite quickly that she was clearly the golden child and the apple of our parents' eyes. And with that, and with my father working away quite a lot and running his own business, and my sister and I were at school all day, and my mum had a young baby, and I would say now that she was probably postnatal depression, but it was never recognized, and neither would she have been the type to ever go to the doctors or anything like that, because she was a very private individual. And really, it all started to fall apart when my younger sister started making demands. And if she didn't get what she wanted, she learned manipulative behavior. She would go crying to my mother and then my mother would berate me in front of her. And if she didn't get what she wanted from one parent, she would run to the other parent and get what she wanted. And this was all start of the cycle of abuse and the dysfunction in our family. And I really don't feel that anybody is to blame here. I don't feel any animosity or hate towards anybody. I have healed from What happened now, and recognize that at any one time in our lives, we're probably all trying to do our best and cope the best way we can, and that we learn behaviors that are sometimes what we believe to be right because we haven't been taught discipline and boundaries and right action from an early age. So I started in my, about age 13, to really feel that my self-esteem was really low, but not really recognising it quite as such. And I started to drink alcohol at the age of 13. I remember getting friendly with a girl at school who was in the year above me, and She was a little bit wild and she was quite plump and she got into crash dieting and dieting, then influenced me and I started on that cycle too. So I was drinking alcohol and then getting into this cycle of starving myself and binging. And not only that, this was around the time of having to do O-levels exams in school, something which I found incredibly difficult because I wasn't academic and I also have struggled all my life. Now I recognise it in my later years, but of course in my younger years this wasn't recognised at the time, but I'm not able to retain information for long periods of time. So although I may grasp a subject one day, I'm just not able to repeat it the next day. And I've always been like that. And somehow I've managed to cope through life. (laughs) So, this again caused problems because I failed my exams at school. My best subject really was always language, English and French. And I always felt with English, I at least could use some creative flair to write. And this then became a bit of a family joke that, um, you know, you're a disappointment and um, sort of what are we going to do with you? Or, you know, I bet you wish you had stuck in at school now. But somehow deep within me, I always knew I was going to be okay. And I had this intuition that I'd be all right. And I knew deep down I never wanted the things that my parents wanted for me. I knew that I, at the time, wanted to meet a good man and have children and devote my life to that. That might sound boring (laughs) to some in the world we live in today, but that's, that's what I wanted at the time. So I left school at 15 and ended up working in sort of bars, really. And of course, as a 15-year-old, I was young, attractive, and not only was abuse going on at home, my mother could be incredibly cruel and wicked with her words, that I ended up meeting the wrong kinds of men and attracting the wrong kinds of men, which of course you're going to when you have no self-esteem, when you have no self-love or self-worth. You seek love anywhere you can find it. And of course, I recognize that my mother was not loved, nor particularly probably my father, never received the emotional needs that they needed and of course then it passes on doesn't it so by the age of 16 i was with my first boyfriend who was extremely abusive controlling the relationship could be magical one moment and just he could just be downright awful the next occasionally he hit me. Sometimes he would drive into the middle of nowhere and just threaten to leave me there. And yet I was just under his spell, absolutely obsessed with him. And I mean, you think back as I'm 52 now, you know, and you think back now, crikey, you know, how could I have been so naive? But at the time, you only know what you know. And, you know, when you're under somebody's spell, well, that's how it is. Unfortunately, by the time I was 18, I had been on the contraceptive pill. And that pill, and by the way, no contraceptive pill ever agreed with me. That didn't agree with me. And I was having unwanted effects. And I came off the pill. And my boyfriend and I had agreed that we would be extremely careful But I had only missed two pills and I don't know whether he did this deliberately or not but I was pregnant straight away and he told me that he had ejaculated inside of me as well and I knew, I just knew that I would be pregnant and I was. And at the age of 18, discovering that came... Oh, I can't even put it into words, really. I felt like a child all of a sudden, overnight, and every instinct in my body screamed at me that I cannot have my child to this man who was six years my senior. And it was an extremely difficult time of my life I told him that I was pregnant and his first reaction was to get rid of the effing B, which was a real knock. And I don't know if you've ever been punched in the stomach, that's what it feels like. So my parents wondered what was wrong with me, why I was tearful why I was going to the doctors. And I broke down and told them that I was pregnant and initially sympathetic to it. It was obvious that they were pushing for me to get rid. My mother took me to the doctors. She was quite ashamed about anybody finding out about her daughter being pregnant in our village which would bring shame on the family. She asked the doctor to not write this down on my notes because she didn't want the ladies and the reception knowing, even though they're not allowed to tell anybody. And the doctor overrode that decision and it did go down on my notes and a termination date was agreed. My boyfriend and I had agreed that that's what was going to happen and That night, my boyfriend came to pick me up, and he took me to the family, his family home, and I walked in, and they were all celebrating and having a party, and he'd announced that we were having a baby, and I just recoiled in shock and disbelief and asked him to take me home, and I just couldn't believe that he'd done that. So, of course, then his family, who were really excited and really thrilled about the news, turned against me and they had no idea of the way he treated me. But never mind, they turned against me and they they were never the same towards me after that. The termination was arranged on the 15th of December. I think it was 1989. Never forgotten. And I remember waking up in the room, and it was there was a big, huge bouquet of flowers, and it felt so inappropriate from him. And I just felt, oh, so in one hand, relieved, and in another hand, so guilty, so sad and disappointed. I went home the next day, and I remember my parents were cooking. Sunday lunch and um, I was just in floods of tears, probably my hormones were all over the place and uh, I picked up the gravy boat and to pour some gravy and it spilt all over the sides and um, I couldn't see through my tears, but the hardest part was that I didn't receive any comfort from my parents and the abortion was just never mentioned again in our house. And I was left to deal with it really on my own, very much alone. My elder sister had already moved out of the house. So she didn't really know. She was, I think she was abroad and we'd kind of become quite distant at that time. So I was very alone with it. The relationship with him continued for about another year. I knew it needed to end. Where were we going to go after that? There was nowhere we were going to lead. I think we went on a holiday and that resulted in him locking me in our apartment because then he could go out and sleep with other girls. And it took it took some time for me to find the strength, the inner strength to end that relationship. But back at home, my mother chose to... Use the very thing that had really hurt me as her weapon of choice to break me down and destroy me as and when she wanted to. When she couldn't win an argument or there was a disagreement, she would always turn to that because she knew that that's the thing that would make me crumble and crack. And I never knew or realised that I was in such a toxic, dysfunctional family until really I had my own children. I thought that was a normal upbringing. So when people say, well, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you this? Why didn't you that? Well, because for me, that was my normal. I loved my parents. I loved my family. I didn't really... Think anything more about it. And then my sort of drinking, going out, meeting the wrong men just went, got worse, really. I did vow to myself after the termination that I wasn't going to waste my life, that I would make something of myself. And I did become a fitness instructor. And that was really good for me. That really did light my fire and light my light within and boosted my confidence certainly on the exterior but I still hadn't done that inner work and I think a lot of that was around controlling my weight as well. So for years, um, for about the next eight years I was a fitness teacher and I met another man who Was no good for me. And I had a two year relationship, and this man was quite controlling as well. And I ended up giving it all up because of what he wanted to do and moving around, uh, working in uh, pubs and restaurants because he wanted to do that. And that, again, was another relationship that inwardly I knew was not going to go anywhere. But nevertheless, when it ended, it it was still painful. And then I lost my driving license. I got caught drinking and driving, not something I'm proud of. And it's probably just as well that happened. I'd actually made the decision that night to not drive my car and to just move it. And that's when I got caught. But it was a bit of a, a wake-up call nonetheless. And I think some people were starting to see that my actions weren't good and I was heading down the wrong path and mixing with some people that were involved in drugs and not good things. And then an opportunity came with my work to move and I jumped at it. And this was the start of things beginning to get better. I moved out of the dysfunctional home. My father begged me to stay. I had a, a close relationship with my father, but unfortunately, he was always the one to say, oh, just keep the peace, just keep the peace and go along with things. But keeping the peace, unfortunately, never changed anything or staying together for the sake of the family is not a get out of jail free card to abuse other people and just about everybody in the family knew how my mother was and yet nobody did anything or stood up to her. So I moved out and I moved away and that's when the eating disorder completely just disappeared. It went, and it was good. I felt good living on my own. I had come to a place of understanding that I was not really interested in meeting any more men. And quite frankly, I would have been quite happy on my own, in my own place, going forwards. And as soon as I'd come to that, Decision and mindset. My husband walked into my life, my husband, who I'm married to today for 25 years. And we met on a blind date and we were married very quickly within a year. It was just, it was just right. And then came the birth of our two children um, not long after. And it was really when I had my own children that I started to really see, with my own eyes, the dysfunction that I had been raised in. When I realized how much I loved my children so much with all my being, how could I ever say things to them, act in ways, do things that could destroy their sweet little souls, and that's when I really started to wake up from the years of psychological abuse and, and the trauma. But it's been a very long path and journey and my father became ill around 2009, 2010, passing away in 2011 and... This left behind a huge hole and my mother, my younger sister, really did sort of pull rank and I felt very shut out and isolated completely from any of the funeral preparations, the continuation of my father's business. It it was really just, no, Lisa, you go back into your corner and... We're dealing with this because you're not capable and we are. And that felt like a huge betrayal and injustice at the time. And it was a very painful process. And then a few years later, my mother passed away as well. However, my mother and I had already gone no relationship. I had written her a letter asking for a relationship based on equal values and respect, recalling some of our happier memories. And I never received anything back. And when I received the news that she had passed away, it came actually as a relief, a complete relief, like a a weight had lifted off my shoulders. There was no more hope of a loving relationship with her. Unfortunately, the whole debacle really tore the family completely apart, and it still has to this day. Thankfully, my older sister in Australia did eventually reach out to me. Uh, She had been wondering... And what had been going on, what was going on and wasn't convinced she was being given the whole truth and because we'd been so estranged for so long, we weren't in communication. But eventually she did reach out and asked me to tell all and we have reconciled and we are now very much in the same place, both within our spiritual growth, which is just lovely. So the things I did to heal, I'm not going to say it's an easy journey at all, but the one thing that really profoundly changed everything one day for me and the penny finally dropped was when the lady I I sought counselling from talked to me about boundaries and Crikey, the penny dropped. She reminded me that our boundaries are our boundaries and that if anybody truly loves and cares for us, then they will respect our boundaries no matter how ridiculous they think they are. They are our boundaries. So that really was the beginning of the healing journey in that it's okay to have boundaries that just because somebody is my mother, it, it it doesn't mean to say they have control over me or they get a right to say how I live my life or choose to raise my children. So I guess what I wish I had known back then is to always stick to your boundaries and core values. However, that said, where I am at today, I'm actually in a place of forgiveness and gratitude for the whole experience. Because for me, I believe that had I never gone through the things that I went through, then I would have never called out to God the divine, whatever it is you call it, that higher power. And sometimes you have to be broken, you're down on your knees, you feel that you've been buried alive, to cry out and to ask God what it is that he wants you to know. And that (laughs) the reality is, is that when we feel that we're being buried alive, you won't see it at the time, but you're actually being planted for something better something greater and a higher purpose and that through going through these experiences really God was showing you all along to put down your boundaries and stand by your core values even if it does mean these people are going to leave your life and many people have left my life as I've grown spiritually over the years projected their hate envy onto me but i'm okay with it now you know i can look at all these things from a higher perspective and sort of see where people are at and i really do genuinely feel that some of us are here on earth to break these generational curses and when we step into alignment with who we are as empathic Beings, we can truly shine our light. The difficult thing is that when you are an empath, when you are somebody that deeply cares about other people and their feelings, is that you are very susceptible to the abuse of others. And often you find the empath and the narcissist sort of attract each other, if you like, because the narcissist is really teaching the empath to stand in their core values so i hope that story helps and guided you a little bit today and that you find your peace and your no and continue on your healing journey and you know, a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. You are worthy, you are a high value and you are worthy of a happy, joyful life. God bless to you all and thank you for listening.